Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Brad Kumalo, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Uh, Jean-Pierre Fester from Protea Capital Management and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Uh, don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to Stockwatch. Uh, let's start about, you know, uh, I'll start with you, Rowan. Uh, give us a, sort of a local market wrap. I mean, uh, two days in the green now. I'm pretty sure we're going to close <laughs> the month in the green if we carry on just like this for the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that uh, kind of tells you so much. Uh, the market's been a very tough place um, yep. for the last, uh, since June, really. And uh, so two days of uh, green in a row is something to, yeah, to be positive about. But it's, uh, what we've got is a little bit of an overhang. Last week we had a significant amount of uh, uh, market news uh, that was moving markets. Uh, we had uh, rate hikes uh, from a number of central banks. Yep. And uh, coupled with that rhetoric about how they were going to be tough on inflation and uh, not too concerned about uh, the economic fallout. So we've seen the markets uh, retrench quite significantly from midweek last week. Uh, they hit uh, sort of lows uh, early this week and they've rebounced a little bit. Um, but it's still quite a tough place. We've seen the Dow every um, session at the open. It, it, it looks like it, it tries to recover, but then the, the selling continues. Yeah. You're just seeing continued Fed speak that uh, it remains uh, that they're going to be hawkish, tough on inflation. And I think until that narrative changes, it is going to be tough uh, in these markets. Yeah, I mean, talking about U.S. markets, uh, JP, uh, we saw, you know, U.S. futures, uh, you know, you know, before market opened, they were up about 1.6, 1.7%, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, respectively. And since then, they've been sliding. And I mean, apparently now we're no longer in the green. I mean, I think this is three days in a row of, you know, potential positive open and then, you know, sort of sliding as the economic news, you know, come to, you know, to bear. What's happening in the U.S., man? Yes, and that is a very bearish signal. And, um, you know, as Rowan has said, everyone's watching what central bankers are doing. And if central bankers are continuing to raise rates, it means a few things, including that the price of money is more expensive. Yeah. That means uh, it's tougher to make money in an economy. The price of money goes up. That means the probability of the recession increases. That is not good for corporate profitability. So you have less future cash flows to discount to the present. And at the same time, you um, are using a higher discount rate to discount those future cash flows. So the 10-year the in the U.S. has just touched 4%. Wow. Um, for a number of years, it has been far below 4%. Uh, and a lot of models didn't work when you used, if you plug in the, the actual... 10-year discount rate. So models are starting to work again, but for a no-growth company, even 4% is still low. Um, if you add an equity risk premium of maybe 4 5%, let's say let's say 4%, you get 8% total discount rate. Right? Yeah. For a no-growth company, that's a PE of 12 and a half. So it already tells you that valuations probably need to come down. So on average, if we have no-growth companies, you would only be willing to pay 12 and a half times PE, which is still substantially lower than where we are now for most companies. Yeah.
Talking about that, you know, 10-year touching 4%, I mean, apparently the last time it was here, it was tw uh, 2010. I think here in South Africa, we were all distracted by Zakumi and, you know, the World Cup coming here, the Soccer World Cup. So, yeah, what a time. It's, it's been that long. And uh, uh, fortunately, economics is starting to work again. Hence why many of those super discounted uh, value type stocks, you know, in the Russell 2000 are doing exceptionally well in the U.S., and some of those funds that follow those things very closely are up between 30 and 40 percent year to date, which is mind-boggling, considering that you know if you look around you, in terms of markets, it looks like uh, you know everything is burning down and everyone is trying to run for the exit. Um, with that said, let's jump into our questions for the evening. Uh, this one is from the SMS line. It doesn't say who is it coming from. It says, "Panels view on MTN, please." I'll start with you, Roy. Yeah, so MTN was uh, quite a big outperformer today. Um, yep. It's had uh, quite a tough time post-results. So what you're seeing is a bit of a pattern. Companies have been uh, often uh, reporting fairly good results, um, but uh, I guess investors deciding to sell. Maybe what you're seeing is emerging market uh, ETF outflows as well, redemptions, and a lot of liquidity seeking. So the share actually had come down quite significantly and got get to a level, yeah, current level where it's looking reasonably attractive. I think the, the prospects are, are fairly good. Uh, African growth, obviously they've got exposure to, to Nigeria uh, and other parts of, parts of Africa, which that's always a, a bit of a concern. We've seen the oil price come down, uh, concerns about currency, repatriation of currency, but they've certainly repaired the balance sheet and around 130 rand a share, I think it has reasonable medium-term prospects. Um, there's obviously the telecom acquisition as well, but I think NetNet, that could be good for, for, for MTN. They get access to those fiber assets, uh, which would cost significantly more to build out, and it's complementary to the rest of their business. So it looks like a reasonable investment case, but there are actually quite a few stocks in the JSC that are looking quite attractive right now. Yeah, I mean, talking about not being able to repatriate cash you know, from outside of South Africa, uh, an interesting rumor was circling on Twitter that the top four banks in Nigeria actually can't get hold of, you know, enough Forex, you know, to make those type of transactions, which, you know, can be a head scratcher and, you know, for, for investors to start worrying about. Maybe it explains why the company is trading where it's trading at. But, you know, when I look at MTN, I'm always excited about, you know, the option of the BE that's attached to it. Because when it looks this cheap, it means uh, that option is looking even cheaper. Uh, JP, your thoughts on MTN? I broadly agree. Uh, the Central Bank of Nigeria did increase the interest rates, I think, by um, one and a half percent today. And there's real concern about the weakness in the currency. There's real concern about the fact that the oil prices come lower. And there's added concern regarding the fact that the the export capacity of Nigeria to export, well, the number one forex generator has been very negatively impacted. A lot of oil is being pulfered and a lot of infrastructure is not working. Ish. So it really is getting increasingly difficult to extract money out of Nigeria that was generated in Naira and getting a reasonable rate when doing so and trying to get your hands on dollars, which a lot of the banks aren't doing. So um, there is real concern, but MTN, even though Nigeria is significant for them, what they have done is they have grown the rest of the portfolio. South Africa is doing well. So one must be careful if it's a known risk to over-discount it in the valuation. 
Yeah. And I think we are now, I agree with Rand that at 130 Rand, it looks reasonable notwithstanding this big night period. Yeah, no, when you talk about, you know, exchanging Nairas into dollars, you remember back in the days we used to refer to, you know, the official rate and, you know, the black market rate. For those who don't know, the official rate is what you get on your Bloomberg when you search for Naira dollar and, and you know, the black market rate, so to say, is what you get at arm's length when you're actually trying to get dollars, uh, you know, with your Naira. So that's, that's what's going on here. I think that chat is back on the table. Uh, we have another question here from uh, Shuaib Kaji who says, a lot of news regarding Remgro and its unbundling with the share price up in this scary environment, should one look to sell? We never used to actually get, uh, you know, questions about selling. So I like this one, Rowan. Yeah, so uh, they reported this morning and their uh, results were actually, they were good. They were very solid. I think you saw a significant recovery across a number of elements of their portfolio. One of the bigger assets is now CIVH, which is the fiber assets. Um, and that uh, had a, a pleasing recovery. Um, that's also subject to a transaction with Vodacom, uh, which will build a very big asset there. But across the portfolio, MediClinic, uh, the food businesses, all doing well. The industrial assets also performing nicely. Um, and the shares trading at a significant discount to NAV. I think the other aspect is management have shown an appetite to address some of the issues, uh, uh, structural issues in terms of, as you mentioned, unbundling. So they announced uh, yesterday that, uh, that they would be unbundling their Grinrod stake, um, not big in terms of a NAV, um, about 1% of their NAV, but just a further indication of their, their willingness to unbundle. So I think it's one of the better ones, and it's still trading at around a 36% discount to NAV as they unlock value. And as you mentioned earlier, some of these value stocks, I think management are going to work to address these structural issues in an environment where you know you're not getting stock price performance so they need to do something else yes. so it's actually probably one of the few few of the shares i'd say actually hold on to here yeah okay so you're still thinking we should hold on uh, to remgro and any thoughts uh, on remgro there jp similar thoughts to rowan uh, if you look at the portfolio now i mean the big chunks are mediclinic uh, the, the two food businesses, the, the oil business and RCL. Um, RMI has grown quite nicely to become quite a big part of the business. That will soon be renamed Outsurance. Yes. And then uh, they've got all those chunks that run bundled out of Outsurance in MMI and Discovery that they're also holding on to and some first-range shares also still on, on the balance sheet. So I like the portfolio that they have. Uh, they'll also very soon effectively increase their stake in Dispel slightly uh, through uh, the deal that's going to be done with Heineken. So uh, I do like the way they're going with the portfolio. And if you can buy the portfolio, you know, high 30 to almost 40% discount to its net asset value, even after taking into account deferred tax, uh, that is attractive. So that builds in a margin of safety when you buy something already at a significant discount. So I also like Rembrandt at this point. Uh, we've got more questions, you know, with SA Inc. type related stocks. Uh, Willie from, on Twitter, sorry, is asking if it's time to buy Impala Platinum yet. I'll start with you, JP. I actually like the platinum companies here. If you look at, um, well, both, well, let's say the PGMs versus gold is the two precious metals that you can get. Gold has been under enormous pressure as interest rates have risen, so your opportunity costs and your, your um, storage costs 
of, of and your risk of inflation is all going in the direction that is not good for gold. Um, while platinum or the PGM space has actually been quite resilient. The PGM basket is up in dollar terms, slightly, but still up over the last few months while gold has been down. It's still down from the highs of roughly a year ago. But if you plug in the current spot PGM prices into your model, uh, especially with the weak ran against the dollar, these platinum companies are gushing out profits, especially in plats and northern platinum, and plats a little bit less. So I do like uh, implants, and after that I would say uh, northern platinum, uh, especially with northern geodium exposure, which is the one metal within the PGM basket that I like the most, between platinum, palladium, and, and rhodium. Um, so either of those two I think you, you, you can go with, and obviously they're both fighting over World Buffer King platinum. So it's going to be interesting to see with them both at roughly 40%, what is going to happen in that fight and the PIC being in the middle and probably being the, the kingmaker in that. But uh, I, I, I like the platinum companies at the current price. Yeah, interesting. Uh, PIC will decide, you know, which side they go with. Uh, Rowan, any thoughts on PGMs uh, or Impala particularly? Yeah, I think JP covered most of the, the key points. I mean, what we have seen is the share prices uh, of, of a number of these uh, counters, particularly PGM, come off significantly where the actual, particularly the RAND price uh, of their key commodity, the, the PGM basket, um, have not come down nearly as much. So the profits are actually going to be uh, maintained um, okay. and the cash flows and, and the dividend flows. So you've got a little bit of a disconnect, uh, particularly at these levels. And so it does look attractive. I think what we're going to see is quite a lot of volatility. So you have to have a stomach for that. And I think you have to be investing for the medium term um, and not be too concerned about sort of some of the gyrations that you, you could see and possibly rand cost average your, your way in. But if you do it smartly, I think in five years' time, you will get a decent return uh, on implants and, and some of the other stocks that uh, JP mentioned. Yeah, enough with, you know, top 40 type stocks. Let's talk about the smaller ones. Uh, Paolo here says, hi, Brights. I need the panel's thoughts on Gemfields and Calgro M3. They're opposite, of the, you know, opposite ends of the LSM table, but, um, you know, how do they perform as long-term investments? And thanks for the great show. So... I'll have you, Rowan, answer the Calgro M3 story, and then I'll give gem fields to JP Fister. So I'll start with you, Rowan. Yeah, so uh, look, these small caps are certainly only, I would say, really for um, individual shareholders, uh, private shareholders. You know, the liquidity is uh, not significant enough to, to attract institutional interest. But as a, a low-cost home build, I mean, they certainly a need and a demand uh, for, for what they, they, they are providing. Um, typically, though, the cash flows are very lumpy uh, in these kind of businesses as they have built stock and then they have to sell it and they, they have to obviously register those, those sales. Um, and you've got con yeah, financial conditions tightening. We've said rates are going up. They're going up a lot in South Africa as well. Uh, so that may make uh, affordability a little bit more difficult. We just don't like the quality of the cash flows that come out of uh, home builders generally. Um, and so we tend to avoid them. So I wouldn't be terribly excited. I think there's probably me more uh, medium-sized businesses uh, with better kind of economic fundamentals, a better business model at reasonable valuation. So I think there's, there's better options elsewhere. Yes. And uh, JP Gemfields? 
Jim Fields actually came up with a very strong trading statement yesterday. I think they're going to make almost 50 cents, uh, South African cent, for the half, um, which on the current share price uh, puts it at a very low price earnings ratio. Wow. Um, if we think about what they own, I mean, it's, it's gemstones, some mines, mm -hmm. and those have recovered very nicely since COVID. And they also have a stake in City uh, Bing Platinum, um, so some platinum exposure as well. And the, the Sacco family, which are very good miners, they also own uh, Assault, uh, have taken a stake and are actively looking to unlock value within Gemfields. So that's very positive. And then uh, very small, they still own Fabergé, the, the jeweled egg company. And I don't think that has necessarily got a lot of value, but you never know. It might be a bit of an option, if, uh, but, you know, buying jewelry based on Russian designs is not the, the in vogue thing to do at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, so I do like gem fields for the gems and the platinum exposure, especially at this price on the back of the strong trading side. Yeah, I mean, uh, at 370 and, you know, earnings of 50, it's looking really, really delicious at these levels. Um, we'll go back to our email um, where we've got, you know, a question on Investec, which apparently came out with good year-end results in March. And, you know, the share was trading around 90 uh, rands per share. Today, it's trading around 73 rands. And the person says, it's Clyde, who says, is aware of the weak markets, but why would there be additional weakness in the share price because of the pound sterling? They worried more about, you know, the, the UK operations. Rowan? Yeah, so I think that sort of, that, and it's an example where we're seeing uh, positive uh, trading updates or uh, pre-close updates uh, from companies and then the shares go down 10 percent or more but in in investor case it's all about the uk yes um so the sort of mini budget uh, that was announced uh, by liz truss's government was taken very badly uh, by the markets we've seen the pound uh, weaker than the rand um, all-time lows against the dollar Talk of it moving to uh, parity to the dollar, in fact. So, um, and uh, very negative around the prospects for the UK economy. They also struggling um, with with power issues, um, and just given the the crisis in energy crisis in Europe. So that actually uh, is quite negative for the UK economy. I think in the medium term, it looks like they're going to go into recession, um, and now populist economics. So very weak pound, and I think. Uh, it is quite a high beta stock investec. Um, uh, some of the, pro the the positive earnings did come from from the UK and the update. So if that's going to turn around, that's unfortunately quite negative from an investment case uh, for for investec. Yeah, uh, JP, this is on Twitter from Paul, who says they need a view on Barclays and Adobe, but unfortunately we don't have enough time to do both. So I'll just ask you about the interesting one, which just bought Figma, which is Adobe. Uh, what do you think of Adobe at these levels? Yes, I've, I've been watching Adobe for a while, for a number of years, and it's always just looked too expensive for me. It is clearly a high-quality company. The recurring revenue from the creative cloud platform yeah. and uh, all the design software that they sell used to be as programs, now as subscriptions are extremely valuable. Um, but it was a big question mark when they spent so much money with this acquisition. Uh, some people, most people think they've overpaid and that puts some concern into people's view about Adobe and the share price can run sharply. I, I think it's getting very close to finally being 
a great company at a reasonable price. It was a great company at a unappetizing price, to higher price for a number of years. So I do think for the first time in many years, I would be thinking of buying Adobe, especially if you look at this acquisition as saying maybe they overpaid, but it's defensive to really make sure that no other competitor can get close to them when it comes to these creative software suits. Yeah, I think that was the narrative, but I mean, it's still eyebrow raising to say the least to, to pay, you know, 50 times, uh, I don't know, future revenues, not even earnings. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's how you do it in Silicon Valley if you want to, you know, chop the man's feet and make sure he, he follows your instructions. So without any further ado, gentlemen, uh, your stock picks for the evening. I'll start with you, Ron. Yeah, so we're also going with what we consider to be a cheapy sappy. Um, if you look at it on current forecast earnings, it's around a P of three. Um, it's uh, sort of been perennial disappointer, but uh, they, uh, in a purple patch at the moment, strong demand uh, for the, the papers uh, in Europe and in the US. Yeah. And then also the DWP demand has been good. We've seen prices very, the dissolvable wood pulp, the price is very firm. And so they had a, a quarter of record earnings. It looks like they're going to have a very strong quarter of earnings into Q4. They gave a very uh, pleasing pre-close update. Um, and in dollars, where they, which is their functional currency, the share is very weak, in fact. Um, and they're going to de-gear with all the cash flows coming from the profitability. So for us, it looks very attractive at these levels. So sappy for you, Rowan. And for you, JP? I'm picking a share listed in London, in the UK. So therefore denominated in pounds called <laughs> Ashley. And uh, no one wants to touch pound assets at the moment because it seems like the, the UK government that sort of told everyone that they're going to borrow so many pounds in future because their budget is not going to be balanced and the economy is not going to be strong, that no one wants to touch any pound assets and therefore the pound has weakened. But this creates an opportunity. You can find a pound asset, it's denominated in pounds, that actually earns in dollars. It means that if it's gone lower in pound terms, you are getting it at a very good price. And there are another, a number of companies listed in London that actually make most of their money in the U.S. And Ashted is one of them. It owns the second biggest equipment rental company in the U.S. called Sunbelt Rentals. And they've got operations all over the U.S. There is lower building activity in the U.S. And it's expected to slow down further. So that's not great. But they are so cash generative and it's so cheap relative now to the dollars that this pound denominated company is generating. But I do think that a lot of that risk is discounted and therefore I like companies like Ashted and then specifically Ashted because of their strong position in the US, but the shares are denominated in pounds and they said in London. Yeah, interesting. So this is Ashted, which is, you know, Ashted Group, H-A-H-T dot L, which is listed in London, not to be confused with Ashford Trust which is actually listed in the US and, you know, is a REIT. So interesting there. I'll be looking at that one. So it's Ashted and uh, Sapi. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thanks to my guest, Jean-Pierre Fester from Protea Capital Management and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a good evening. <laughs>